the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How many of you have ever felt like you've been up a creek without a paddle? You ever heard that old saying? <laughs> Some of us like, I feel like that right now. Before I got saved, when I was a young man, that's how I lived my life, looking for my paddle all the time. <laughs> I was at the mercy of wherever the currents in life took me. And one time in particular, I remember me and my wife Angie went to Spring River to go canoeing on a little river. Anybody ever been there? If you've been there, you probably know it's a party location. People come there to get drunk and just hang out and shout and get into all kind of mischief and yell at their wives and, and all in the name of fun that you do, the things you think are fun before you get saved, you know. And so we went there with all that in mind. We got in our canoe and we had our little lunches in a plastic sack. We were that smart, you know, in case they got wet. And we had the, the canoe littered with beer cans and we, we had the life preservers that they gave us, but of course we didn't put them on because we knew better, you know. We are too cool for that. And so we and all our rowdy friends, we brought our rowdy friends with us, so we had a little party, you know. We routed on down the river. And so we took off, you know. And that was when I was first dating Angie. That was back before we got married. And uh, I was peacocking. You know what that means? I, I was trying to show out for Angie, you know. I was planning on showing her that I was the man here, and I was going to do the steering, and I was going to take care of the canoe, because I had canoed before. And the last time I canoed, I did good. But for some reason, I don't know the pressure of being in, in, you know, in the presence of such beauty or something. I don't know. But I got in the front of the canoe this time. And I was thinking to myself, that's where I'm supposed to be, right? And if you know anything about canoeing, you don't steer from the front. The person who steers is in the back, and they gently put their paddle in the water to turn this way or that way. And that kind of steers the canoe. Well, not me that day for some reason. My brain was on hiatus. And so I was in the front, and every time it came turn, time to turn, I was paddling real fast on one side trying to go that way. And so needless to say, every time we came to a turn, I just ran us right into the bank or into the tree or whatever. And my, my brother was coming by, and he was, they was looking at us, running into everything, and like, what's wrong with these folks? It was me. I don't know. My brain it was going crazy that day. And so... But that was that kind of described my whole life up until that point. You know what I mean? Beer cans littered here and there at the mercy of the the river itself. Didn't have a life preserver on. Had it available to me the whole time. But wouldn't put it on. Had no wisdom about life. You kind of get the picture, right? Somehow we was able to stay dry for most of the trip. I don't know. I mean, we ran into a lot of things, but we stayed in the boat. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we brought along our little baby Labrador, Labrador puppy for some reason. <laughs> Just to throw another something in the mix. 
Anyway, we had this Labrador puppy in the boat. We was going along. We finally got to a place where it was just a big turn and the water was getting really fast there and you had to make a quick turn and there was a, a tree that had fallen over right at the turn. So you had to make a sharp turn. You really had to be good to get around there, I would imagine. And so me being in the front of the boat, I saw that. So I started paddling faster and trying to turn the boat. And of course, we ran smooth up into that tree. Boom! Knocked the canoe over, us over, dog went flying, beer cans everywhere, life rafts, Heading down the river, paddles gone. I come up and I'm boo -boo, trying to get above water. Still analogy for my life, you know. I'm, I get a, my head above water and I'm trying to grab the canoe and I look over and Angie's swimming after the dog. <laughs> she thinks it's a puppy, it's going to drown. But how many know that dogs just have this inherent sense? God takes care of the puppies. They know how to swim. And the dog was doing fine until Angie's grabbing on it trying to save it, you know. <laughs> And they're all, both of them are over there about to drown. <laughs> and I'm trying to flip the canoe. And then I hear this commotion over on the shore over here. And guess what it was? Yeah, I'll tell you later. If y'all pay attention during the sermon, I'll tell you later what was going on over the shore. You're not going to believe it. It gets better from here. But we know what it's like. Most of us know what it's like to live life up the creek without a paddle. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3.16. Maybe you can identify with some of these things. Maybe you ain't got your life preserver on here today. I hope before we leave today, you'll know that it's available and it's there for a reason. His name is Jesus. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3.16. It says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now it's talking about how Moses, you know, he went up on the mountain to be with God and he was in the presence of God and his face shone so bright that when he came down, they had to put a veil on him because so, they couldn't stand to look at him. The glory of God was just so much. But it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now what does it mean? Well, you know, the, the Bible says that the that the Word of God is foolishness to the unbeliever. Even the principles of God don't, don't seem to make sense if you don't believe in God. But, but it goes on to say, but whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit. God is a Spirit, right? And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, when He comes into you, the Bible also says something about that, that, that the natural man can't understand the things of God because God is a Spirit. So we, must, we need the Spirit of God to understand the things of the Spirit of God. But wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, the veil is taken away and we can see clearly the things of God. And there is freedom. That's what we all need. We need freedom. Now, if you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, to what measure do you allow God to control your life? That's the measure that the freedom that you'll have in your life. When we come to this church, I believe the Spirit of God is here right now. I believe when we come gathered in His name, or two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
And the Spirit of the Lord is here and there is freedom and that's why people come. This is not some dry, dusty old church. This is the Passion Church. We're passionate about Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord is here to set the captives free. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it goes on to say, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We can see, and the more light we get on the inside of us, the more we begin to glow. We begin to go from a glory, a little glory, to a bigger glory, to a bigger glory. We begin to shine bright. And it says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. We become like Jesus. And that was His intention after all. He made us in His image originally, right? Today's message is entitled, Finding Freedom. If you're following along on the back of your bulletin there, there's blanks that you can fill out, kind of keep you awake if you're getting sleepy. But Galatians 5.1 says it so simply. It says, For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. <laughs> How simple can you put it? That's what it's for. That's what the freedom is there for. It is for freedom that you be set free. And he makes it so simple, but if it's so simple, how come so many Christians are still up the creek without a paddle? How many Christians are still got beer cans all littered in their boat? They're not wearing, they're not putting on Christ. They're running into one hazard after another. Their boats are thumping. And their experience is a lot like the world's. You can't tell them apart. I believe... It's because we haven't learned as Christians that there's more than the salvation experience. We need to become disciples. There's a lot of scriptures that Jesus talks about. Unless you, you'll never be my disciple unless you do this or that. You may, you may even be saved. You may have your life preserver on, but you're still underwater half the time. Because you haven't learned that there is a process to become a disciple. Can I get the discipleship wheel up here, please? We talked about this last week. Slide one of that thing. Now, this, is, this is the way your process looks. The church has its own, but it matches this. The church is, is there to help you make progress and growth. You see, as you move around this, you move into growth and you, as a disciple. Does that make sense? So last week our sermon was entitled, Knowing God. Do you remember? Because without knowing God, you'll not do any of these other three. It just doesn't happen. In the knowing is where the growth takes place to do these other three. As you know God, you begin to get free from all the, the sin and the baggage and the bondage that you were in before you knew God. And when you get free, you begin to discover, hey, there's more to life than beer and and Spring River. I have a purpose. There's a destiny for me. What? Me? And I've been living all this time. I didn't even know that God had a purpose for Yes, He does. And you begin to discover it. And it's a wonderful occasion in your life. Because then you begin to put it into action. You begin to take steps like Heather's started working in the nursery and finding her gifts and so forth. And then she began to make a difference. Her life began to count. And deep down, all of you want your life to count. 
You want your life to make a difference, a positive difference in this world. And then as you do that, you lead other people to know God. And that's our ultimate reason why we're here. We come and learn that we may go and teach. That we may make disciples who would take up their cross and follow the Lord. That's the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples. And guess what? If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're somewhere on this wheel. I can't tell you where. I can if I sat down and talked with you. Individually, I probably could. I could help you identify. But you can probably identify. Are you still in just the getting to know God stage, but you're still in bondage to sin? Or have getting to know Jesus made you fall so much in love with Him that you're getting free from your sin and now you're starting to discover your purpose? Are you already over there making a difference and trying to help other people? Do you see how that works? Last week we talked about what? We talked about the woman caught in the act of adultery who was thrown at the feet of Jesus. And she was expecting, I don't know what she was expecting, she expected to get stoned because they said, you know, they were trying to test Jesus. They said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and you know what that Moses said, that she should be stoned. They already had their stones ready, just give us the word. And he took his time, wrote down in the ground, and he looked up and he said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And we found out that Jesus is not like religion. The religious Pharisees. Jesus is different. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is kind. Jesus is on your side. We talked about all that last week, so I won't go back into it. But Jesus is on your side. And in just that brief encounter with Jesus, this woman saw something. And he said what? Go and sin no more. What was he saying? He was saying, now that you know me, go find freedom. Does that make sense? But what else did he say? He said, where are thine accusers? And she said, they gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn thee. Then he said, go and sin no more. Did you know Jesus told Nicodemus in the garden in John chapter 3? He said, the Son of Man has not come into the world to condemn the world. But, but that through Him, the world might be saved. See, He has a different heart. Religion wants to condemn you and control you. But Jesus came to set the captives free and give you eternal life. Does that make sense? Jesus took away your sins that you can start, if you have repentance in your heart and you give your heart to Him, you can start your life fresh with a clean slate. And that's my point number one. Look at your neighbor and say, a clean slate. Wake up. I'm going to get a water gun and start squirting you if you fall asleep. <laughs> It'll be holy water. There you go. But Jesus gives us a, a clean slate, but He knows our propensity to be human. And He knows tomorrow you might need another new clean slate. So the first scripture that we usually teach to new believers and we remind old believers or mature believers is 1 John 1 9 
because it is probably the most needed scripture in, a, in, the, in the disciple process of a Christian. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Give us a new clean slate. God wants us to, to be forgiven and to stay forgiven. And now I'm going to add something else. He wants you to offer forgiveness to others. Well, let's be honest. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, then you're sinning. So you're, you don't have a clean slate either. To be clean, you have to forgive others. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Forgive us our sins as we, for, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Right? So we must learn to forgive others. Jesus doesn't want us associated with sin. He doesn't want us sinning at all. He wants us to stay free. Sin is bondage. Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus is where sin goes to die. In Psalms 103.12, it says He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know how far that is, but I can't see that far. I can't even remember that far. That's good news. Micah 7.19 says, Once again, you will have compassion on us. Talking about the Lord. You will trample our sins under your feet and you will throw them into the depths of the ocean. You've heard it said that He cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't want to remember them. He doesn't want to look at you and remember all your sins. And He doesn't want you to look in the mirror and remember all your sins. He wants you to put your past in the past at last. And He don't want you driving through life looking in the rearview mirror all the time. He wants you free. He wants you... The discipleship process starts with finding freedom. Well, after knowing God. As you know God, you find freedom. Can I get an amen? amen. I had somebody come to me the other day and was honest with me and said, I'm having a hard time forgiving some people for my past. And I understand that. It can be the hardest thing to do in your life because you want to hold on to that. They have really hurt you and it's just, man, everybody in here would probably say, but you don't know what I've been through. Your situation, I mean, it's easy for you. No, it's not easy for any of us. Sometimes I tell people, you just got to forgive by faith. <laughs> even if your heart ain't in it, even if your heart's trying to hold. Now it says that we must forgive others from the heart, but you got to start somewhere. If you just got to declare it, God, I don't feel like forgiving them. I don't want to forgive them, but because you told me by faith, I declare I forgive them. So that I can be free. So that I can have a clean slate. And I guess that's why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, right? Because when you pray for your enemy, the people you pray for, even if you don't like them starting out, the love of God will well up in your heart as you begin to care and pray for people. And pretty soon you begin to have empathy and say, well, they didn't know no better. They just doing what they always did. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We begin to... 
to have mercy even on the, the ones you thought you never could have mercy on. But God's love does that kind of thing. Corey Tin Boom has a quote. And if you don't know who she is, she went through uh, the Holocaust. And the Nazis imprisoned her whole family, and most of them died in the concentration camps. She was kept in the concentration camps and abused and, and tortured and such. And she was able to say this through the love of God. She said, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Your heart don't want to do it. But that don't mean you can't do it. You can do it. Now Mark Twain, he's known for funny quips. But I found a serious one from him. He said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. So my question is, do you want to be the violet or do you want to be the heel? Do you want a, a sweet smelling fragrance to God? By being someone who forgives, or do you want to be the heel that crushes things? Is that making any sense? Now, we're talking about finding freedom today. And, you know, when I get through, somebody's going to come and say, well, you could have told them they need to do this and they need to do Man, every sermon that I'll ever preach is talking about finding freedom in some sort of way. There's no way I can preach everything that needs, that you need to know today about finding freedom, okay? I've just got two major points today, the ones that the Lord gave me to share with you today. But I thought I'd throw in just a, a few to get the ball rolling if you want to write these down, all right? These are ways that, that, that we find freedom that I thought, and my wife helped me share a few. We must renew our mind to the Word of God. We've got to understand that this is, this is the absolute truth, and whether we agree with it or not, it's always going to be the truth. And so the more, the quicker we agree with it, the better we get on with life. And we need to have a mind shift of not just being a hearer of the Word, not just a casual pew sitter that, oh, that was a good message, and then goes and forgets what he heard, but be a doer of the Word. Like on that bulletin, every week I write down there, Pastor's Challenge. I'm challenging you to do the Word that you learned today, because that's how you're going to grow as a disciple. You can sit in that pew and, and listen to the Word of God for 80 years and see it, still be the same old nasty person you were back in the canoe. I'm serious. you got to do the Word. Psalms 119.45, the psalmist declares as an act of his will, he says, I will walk in freedom. You got to determine that I will walk in freedom. For I have devoted myself to your commandments. Freedom comes from believing and acting on the Word of God. Freedom comes from being stayed, staying filled with the Holy Spirit. We already read the scripture it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the closer you the more you open your heart up every day, fill me, Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me operate. I am not afraid of the things of God. I understand that my God is a supernatural God, and He does above and beyond what I can believe in my natural mind. 
If you want to get to the places that God's bringing you, you're going to need the Holy Spirit because it's going to be beyond what you can do in your physical strength. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being a disciple, it takes time. You learn a lot of things by experience. You need to recognize the tricks of the enemy. Like Heather says, there's a devil out there to trick you up. And he just needs a little of your flesh to help him out. And most times that's enough to send us down the creek. So we need accountability with one another. We need somebody to help us through this thing. We need to put those kind of guardrails in place. We need to set boundaries on the front end of our life, knowing where we'll go and where we won't. Because if I go over there, I know my propensity to be tempted. I know what tempts me, and I know I can't. We set guardrails to keep your life in the middle of the road. We don't open up old doorways to sin that we should have closed off. These are just some of the processes. I'm just throwing a few out. I'm not, I know we're... We're doing good. But I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things that come on this wheel. There's a lot of things. Most of it is just knowing God. As you know God, you learn these things. But in all of these things, almost all of these things, you grow faster when you have somebody to model it for you. You have somebody who's already walked down that road and knows where you're wanting to head and can give you directions. And say, hey, don't go over there because that's a pit. Watch out over there as a dog will get you. You know what I'm saying? You starting a new route. You want somebody that's worked that route before that's going to help you get down the road safely. And that leads me to my second point. And I only got two. Say praise the Lord. We need each other. Look at the person on your left or your right, or your left and your right, and tell them I need you. That's hard for you to do, ain't it? Somebody said, I don't go into that church no more. Made me do that. Hey, relax. It gets worse. No. <laughs> we're crazy in here. We're, look, we're the warm, fun-loving family. We have fun. We relax in here. We're not playing religious games. We're not the Pharisees. We're for you in here. We know that it's Christ who sets us free. We give all the glory to God, but one of His major tools in our life is other people. That's what he uses to help set us free. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What? I thought we were supposed to confess our sins to God. We are. He's the one that ultimately forgives us. But we confess our sins to one another that we might learn something. We pray together. So there's power in our prayer and, and we, we feed off of one another, spirit, that we may be healed, that our life may change. See, God's not saying, okay, how many people you know say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people. I don't love the church. That's a popular saying these days. That's from the pit of hell. That's from the devil. 
Jesus heard you saying that, he'd be mad. I'm just telling you the truth because the, the church is his bride. If I hear you talking about my bride, I'm going to be mad. Am I telling you the truth? That's what Jesus is doing on the earth. He put these people here to help you. Well, you say, well, they're more jacked up than me. Well, they can help you with what not to do. Our minds are shaped more from a relationship than they are from just simple information. I mean, there's a lot of people in church got all kind of information. They can quote more scriptures than anybody. But there's no change in their life. They haven't done life. That's the wonderful thing about warrior ministries. You get to learn this process together. You got brothers to hang out with and feed off of. It's a wonderful thing. That's God's plan. The most, one of the most special gifts He gave us was to give us a huge spiritual family for support. So I love my church. This is where freedom is found. This is where what God is doing on the earth. Do you want just a little freedom? I'll, I come every couple weeks. I, I try to make it at least once a month. Are you saying, I want a little freedom? I, I, I didn't always feel this way. And it wasn't just because I came pastor or nothing. But You know, sometimes God gives me a message and, and, and as I'm praying it out and seeing it and I start, people start coming to mind, man, I hope so-and-so is here to hear this because I know this is what they need. I know this is what will set them free. And I get to church that Sunday and I preach that message with all my heart. And I look out there and they're not here. And I'm like, I, gotta, I need to call them and tell them to listen to the podcast or something. But I don't know if they ever do. But I want you to know when you miss, you may have missed the thing that was going to set your life free. You may have missed the th I don't want to start begging you to come to church. Paul, the Apostle Paul was willing to let his life be a model for others. And uh, in Philippians 4.9, he says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. So he was willing to understand that as Christians, we have a moral obligation and a responsibility to reflect the accuracy of the Scriptures and to be a representation and an ambassador of Jesus Christ in this earth. Everything you hear me say and everything you see me do, that's what you need to do. Now would you send somebody else that you know say, say that about you right now? Would you feel comfortable if your children did what you do and said what you say? I hope so. But that's what it's all about. That's modeling. See, we become models so that we can model. Everything you, you heard from me, saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. He's teaching people the path to peace. And the Scriptures is full of people. That's what discipling is. What is a disciple again? Anybody got a... I know some of them warriors know... 
A disciplined follower, yes. It's nothing different. It's just somebody with enough discipline to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just say, I know Him. But to follow Him. Titus 2.4 tells us that the older women are to train the younger women. In the book of Acts, there's Priscilla and Aquila. And they find this young minister and he's, he's on fire to preach the word of, word of God, but he doesn't even know about Jesus very well. So they take him aside and they teach him the ways of God more thoroughly so that they can help equip him to serve in a better way. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, let's go ahead and turn there because this is so good. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You ought to be able to memorize that. I think there's churches that's even named their church the 222 church or something like that. Didn't Pastor Paul want to change our name to 220, church 222 or something at one point? That was because of this scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Because it's talking about what's important to God. This is Apostle Paul talking to his spiritual son Timothy. He says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. In other words, I'm preaching to you the truth out of God's word. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Do you see the progression? Let my life teach you because I believe you're trustworthy. I believe you're hungry for the things of God. Find somebody that's hungry for the things of God that you have a little more experience than and invest into their life so that they can in turn invest into someone else's life. Change in America is not going to come at the ballot box. The change that we don't like in America is because we have not practice 2 Timothy 2, 2. There's been a generation has not taught our children to fear God. Change comes, the moral climate of our nation is on our shoulders, not the government's. I don't even, I get to where I have my thoughts about how thing, things should be, but they ain't important enough for me to argue with you about them because I am a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador for Christ. It's more important for me to tell you about Jesus than it is to argue with you about temporary stuff. And some of us can't get off watching CNN or Fox News and the devil's just pumping you full of hatred and division. We're supposed to be the light in this dark nation. And we're not going to do it by fighting and arguing and bickering over politics. I'm not, I don't mean to get off on all of this, but it's a serious issue in America. We each come and learn over here, we, we preached on that. This is, what, this is what we do. We come and learn that we may go and teach. It's the discipleship process. You need to be involved in it. You need to be helping the younger in the faith. And you need to be being helped by someone more spiritually in tune than you. Does that make sense? Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of us has received a gift, and we all have, Minister it to one another as good stewards. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold just means the many-faceted. 
This means the many varieties, that, the grace that God has given you in so many areas of your life. Be good stewards to give that out. Don't hold on to it. It wasn't meant to hold on to. We can't get around it. God is all about relationships. He loves relationships. You're set free by right relationships. With God, first and foremost, but with each other, too. It sets you free. Angst against somebody. Ought against your brother and your heart. All these things entangle you and make you feel all knotted up on the inside. And God wants to set you free from that. Right relationships is what God is all about. Freedom is a journey towards God. And it's a journey best made together. I got to get a water gun. Some of y'all not paying attention. Did you hear what I just said? Thank you for waking them up. Thank you. So there we were in that cold spring river. If you've ever fallen in that cold river water. And everything that we had is floating down on in front of us. And the poor dog saying, get off me, woman, get off me. And I hear this commotion over here on the bank, just beyond the trees. And apparently, there's these bunch of rowdy teenagers and such are hanging out over there because they know this is where your life is liable to tump over. And they are just laughing and laughing. And I'm thinking, if I ever get out of here. But of course... We had no control and we floated on down the river and we finally came down to shallower water and was able to walk out. And then there was this other group of people and they had stopped our canoe and they had gathered up our paddles and put it back in there. They'd even found our lunches and dried our canoe out and put it back in there. They let the beer cans go. I didn't figure that out. It made me mad. But, but they let the beer cans go but they gathered our life preservers and as we got there, they said, y'all might need to put these on. <laughs> and see, that is what Christians do. They help each other put on Christ because He is the life preserver. He preserves your life from the pit of hell where you won't spend eternity there, but also that you won't live there the rest of your time here on the earth. And see, we're instructed in the Bible to put on Christ. To live like Christ. To look like Christ. To believe and understand life. And love. Like Christ. And that's what freedom is all about. Are you ready for the prison doors in your life to swing open? Are you tired of being behind the, the bars and see, being in the dark? You might need a buddy for the journey. I wonder, old Paul, the time he got arrested, he got arrested plenty of times for doing the work of God. One time he was coming, he was on his way to prayer, and he happened to have a buddy with him named Silas. 
And they were on their way to prayer and they got arrested for simply preaching the gospel and casting the devil out of some woman. And the people were all mad because they had made their living off this demon-possessed woman. And so they went to the magistrates and said, do something with this guy. He's disrupting life. See, they wanted to stay in their darkness. And so the magistrate, that's right, you're just a troublemaker. And he threw Paul and Silas in the jail. He told the jailer to make sure they don't get out because they're troublemakers. And so they put Paul and Silas not just in the jail. They beat them first. They beat them with rods. That means they hit their feet with some uh, thick rods that were liable to break the bones in their feet. Just super painful. I think they, they whipped them as well. Before, just to, to break them down so they wouldn't try to escape. And then he put them in stocks around their neck. And it says he put them in the innermost part of the jail. The darkest, the deepest part, probably where all the, the stuff from above ran down to, if you know what I mean. The most hopeless place in the world, the inner jail. And I wonder if Paul would have just happened to been by himself that day and been down there in that lower place in the stocks with his back laid open, his feet hurting so bad he can't even reach down and soothe them and stuck there in the blackness of the inner cell. I wonder, would the devil have made, maybe been able to say, man, you're just trying to serve the Lord. Look what God's let happen to you. See, this is what you get. God's not faithful to you. I'd be complaining. Wouldn't you be tempted to complain? Wouldn't you be tempted to be in despair? But you know what happened about midnight, right? Said about the midnight hour that they were singing, praising God, encouraging one another. Said all the other inmates were listening to them. And you know, when I think back about that story, I've always seen that story is that they were in there for a long time and about midnight they said, hey, let's encourage one another and sing. That's the way I've always saw that story. But it came to me as I was studying this out, I don't think that was the way it was. I think from the moment they got there, they started encouraging one another. I think Silas said, man, this is bad, Paul, but you know what? God's still good. Paul probably looked over at Silas, you're right, man. He's got us out of worse than this. It's, a, it's an honor to suffer for Jesus' sake. You remember how he suffered for us. They begin to encourage one another. They begin to pray together. I believe this went on from the moment they were thrown in there. Because it says the prisoners were listening. And this is at 12 o'clock at night. These prisoners, if they would have all of a sudden been woken up at 12 o'clock at night with some fools out there singing, they're probably going to say, shut up! I'm trying to get some sleep in here. No, no, I think these two brothers in the Lord were encouraging each other to the point where they was, they was declaring the righteousness and the goodness of God, and they began to stir one another up and sing in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God came in that place, and the, and the people in the jail, the hardened criminals, they began to listen, and they began to get free. There was a spirit of freedom in the place. 
And I think they worked themselves up to so many people was coming into a, a place of unity, like in the, in the upper room, that there was into a place of unity where the, the, then the God sent the earthquake that rattled open all the prison doors. And I believe the prisoners were in it with them. I think they had won the prison over to Jesus because of their attitude, because they were there together in unity. And they got the prisoners in unity. It says the jailer ran in there and was fixing to kill himself because he thought the magistrate's going to have me killed anyway because everybody's done got out. The prison doors are all open. But they ran to him and they said, no, no. Ain't nobody gone anywhere. We're still all here. Now what? Hardened prisoners that may be in there for life, may be in there waiting to die, were in the presence of the Lord so strong that they wouldn't even leave when the doors were open. They said, we're all accounted for. The jailer said, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? They won the jailer over. And I believe it made a big difference that they were there together to encourage one another not to let the enemy come in. How many of you have been down and you just can't seem to get out of it until your buddy comes over and talks you out of it? We need somebody to talk us down, man. We get built up. And the devil begins to play with us. Trick our minds. But we need one another to encourage one another for the journey that the prison doors may be open for all. He come to set the captives free. So what did I say today? Concentrate on knowing Jesus. We talked about that all last week. He wants to give you a clean slate. He wants you to stay with a clean slate. And He wants you to develop godly relationships. Look to your left and your right. That's the people God sent to set you free. Look in front of you and behind you. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Say, I love my church. Freedom is all around me. <laughs> These people today, they need to be priority in your life. These people that you're seeing here today, before you leave, let them know you're a priority in my life. I need you. And you need me. These are the people that God has given you to pick up your pieces. To help you get your paddle back in the boat to help you put on Christ to give you your sack lunch back and to tell you that there's a better way we come and learn that we may go and teach and each of us can put on life preserver. Could you bow your head and close your eyes for one listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.